0: This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. They're no longer sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. Hello everyone, welcome to The Future of E-learning, a market scale podcast. I'm your host Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the podcast. Make sure that you are subscribing to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, basically wherever you're listening to your podcast content. And you can also find previous and upcoming episodes of this podcast on our website, marketscale.com industries, you can find podcasts, articles, videos, not just from the EdTech vertical, but from 15 plus B2B industries. For today's episode of the podcast, we're continuing uh, many conversations that we've had on here. You know, with COVID-19 going on, um, there is a through-thread with a lot of our ed tech conversations. What does education look like coming back in the fall? What do those methodologies look like that are going to change or adapt or uh, be introduced for the first time to guide uh, really what's going to be a new era of education, in my opinion, here in the U.S. and potentially globally. And so on our podcast today, we're continuing that conversation on adapting the learning experience mid and post-COVID-19. Uh, since COVID has changed many of the preconceived notions we have of the classroom and what works and what doesn't, including tech in the classroom, engagement methods, social-emotional learning, and more. Today, we're drawing on insights from Arlene Roa-Awayan. She's the Director of Customer Success and Engagement at Cipher Learning. And Arlene is a board-certified teaching professional with more than 12 years of experience in teaching business and marketing in higher education, as well as a decade of experience in e-learning administration. She was also an organizational development and training manager, as well as a former president of the Philippine E-Learning Society. Arlene Roa Awain, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me today.
0: Of course, of course. Uh, You know, it's such a unpredictable time uh, in in many respects. And I think the educational system in the United States, but really just the educational system worldwide, uh, or at least in every country heavily affected by COVID, has had to take a step back and think, what have we taken for granted in our educational system and our strategy what isn't working, what has never really been working, and how can we adapt to come back in the fall with strategy that stays flexible and really stays student-centric. So I want to get your perspective, uh, but first I want to talk a little bit about your background first. So like I said, you've spent over a decade in e-learning administration uh, you've worked teaching business and marketing in higher education. And you've also been the president of the Philippine E-Learning Society. So in your several, several years crafting a career in this industry, uh, what have been some of the areas that you've seen as deficiencies in the educational system, whether that's just strategy or implementation of technology or just anything in between that you've seen. Uh, and, you know, give context pre-COVID-19, basically. What have you been seeing that wasn't working even before a pandemic was tossed into the mix?
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. So what I've noticed, I, I think I've been advocating for the integration of technology in in learning and teaching for many, many years now but with the many organizations that I've been talking to, for business, uh, schools, teachers even, they always thought of uh, the use of technology as an option. It's something that's um, meant to be an enhancement of what they're already doing in the classroom. So uh, I think a big part of what's happening now is a lot of the organizations, a lot of the schools, the, the school leaders, the administrators, are forced into the situation where they have no choice but to use technology. And the big thing about it is you don't just choose applications or tools, it's also about learning how to use them properly in the context of uh, instruction and also for for learning. So what we're realizing that it what the learning process is not just for the teachers learning how to to teach online or integrating the the technological tools in their teaching or the learners how to learn online, but also administrators learning how to develop a culture of learning in the digital environment because they have because everyone has been taking away from the the physical campus, right? So we have to build somehow this virtual learning environment where we sim- we not necessarily similar, but there's a big transformation in the dynamics when it becomes digital. So that I think has been the greatest challenge now when we were forced to go to emergency response teaching and also I think moving forward in the coming months.
0: During uh, your time as president of the Philippine e-learning society, uh, how did some of those deficiencies that you had seen in education methodology or tech implementation? How did you see those affecting education in the Philippines specifically? And what was some of the work that you were doing while you were part of that society to to basically get the ball rolling on a, a different vision?
1: Yeah, so we, when we were starting, we I think a few around five years back, we wanted to connect the Philippine e-learning to society to the to the world. So we organized events or symposia that really connected us to the best practices of uh, educators, school leaders, and universities, uh, schools all over the world, to give them an idea that when even if there are a lot of constraints in the Philippines in terms of uh, available ICT infrastructure, connectivity, which is still a challenge today despite the philippines being one of the we are considered as the social media capital of the world can you imagine i think uh, the average filipino spends around 10 hours on the internet despite having i think around an average of 19 mbps very slow internet connection but very very well engaged but that somehow our use of technologies really for interaction but has never translated to the learning working or teaching so what we were trying to do was try to ease in the adoption of more digital transformation but from a blended learning approach so uh, it's the strategy was more of easing them in how do you blend during that time a few years back how do you blend you know classroom activities with with uh, online learning activities, and how do you also in- inject in project-based activities or service learning and other and other different types of approaches. So we did a lot of workshops and also encouraged a lot of schools to, to look into, when the cloud was just emerging, look into a lot of the cloud-based solutions that offer scalable options for them to try out different tools without necessarily having to invest a lot. Uh, in terms of financial resources, or or even manpower. So that's I think that was the big enabler for to really quicken the adoption of some of the schools that were going into e-learning or going into digital learning as well.
0: Now let's look at the situation. Uh, mid or post-COVID-19, basically. Um, That completely changed the dynamic of a lot of that work and uh, reinforced some of those issues, in my opinion, uh, as well (laughs) as brought new ones to the table. So it's been a real unpredictable mix. So what have been the major pressures on the classroom, in your opinion, due to COVID-19? And how do they intersect with some of those I guess, previous issues that already existed in our uh, educational systems or technology or structures globally.
1: What what we're experiencing right now, at least because everyone was cooked up at home, right? The students, the learners had to be at home. So in, instantly, the parents had to become the learning facilitators at home, helping the teachers. So it would not be happening. You know, learning would not continue if the parents did not take an active participation in the learning activities of their students the problem there is a lot of the a lot of the parents weren't really prepared to just accept or be handed down this particular job because we we used to to think about the teachers to be in charge of it i think what's good about this is there is even more appreciation for how much really teachers are helping us uh, take care of children in at at, at uh, in the school, but also being able to really focus on the the learning and development of of uh, of the students. But now, uh, I think what is happening is parents have a more crucial role, especially for the early early learners, right? And here, in especially for developing economies, countries that have uh, very very limited access to uh, devices or internet connectivity is a challenge. I think the challenge now moving forward here in the Philippines, for example, there are many schools have, that already decided that for the next school year, we will st- we, They they will be going completely online. But uh, when when schools begin to plan, four aspects here, right? Leadership. How do you change now the policies of how things will be implemented? How do we train the teachers to prepare them to design learning activities? How do we consider the learners? How do we design the learning experience for the learners uh, in the sense that when everything is purely online? And finally, uh, the structure or the devices, because when it's very important, I think when school leaders now make a decision, there are the digital divide is still real very, very correct. So there we have to consider, I've often advised many school leaders, please consider how many kids are sharing the devices, whether it's a laptop, desktop, how much internet connection do they have, how much screen time each student will have, because they will be sharing with the family. Let's also consider if parents are becoming the learning facilitators that will help the students and guide them in their learning activities, most of these parents will be working from home as well. So I think it's there are so much more factors now that need to be considered that are out of bounds because before, all the school school leaders and the teachers mostly had to consider was how to take care of their learners the moment they go into the campus, right, or they go into the classroom. But now they have to think about the differences in the challenges for each um, household of their of their learners, so we have to be able to provide flexible learning uh, opportunities that accommodate the different needs. So there are still learners that need to be provided with printed material, at least for developing countries, simply because they do not have the device or they do not have the internet connection. For those who have limited uh, connectivity and device, it could be a combination of blending, blending the on uh, screen time with actual activities like reading, performance tasks. But the challenge is how do we plan out these activities to be executed by uh the parent as a learning facilitator right and the 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 teacher doesn't have eyes on their learners during the entire time so it's from what i believe this is going to be a learning process also in terms of the interplay between the role of the family the role of the parents and the role of the teachers and the role of the school in really developing the learning activities of, of the kids so Part of what will be critical here will also be how do we empower the parents to better to better guide their students. In many cases, there are still uh, parents who might not be comfortable using technology, right, or being able to use all of these uh, ICT tools, and they have to be able to teach their kids as well. So part of it is also helping the parents manage the cognitive overload of being instant teachers in this sense. And then another thing also is, uh, should we really be focusing on grades or standardized tests at the moment, or really just focusing on the knowledge, skills, and attitudes that we want them to gain that are relevant for the current times? What are the uh, awareness? What are the uh, competencies that we want Uh, our students in this day and age to gain that will make them better suited to the changing times or what is often called the new normal, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Right, right. And uh, how are some of those major pressures that you just broke down, how are those affecting uh, teachers and the educators as well trying to uh, craft strategy and curriculum to meet these new dynamics such as you know, students now having to be more um, self reliant uh, for yes. their education and yes. uh, engaging parents uh, correctly and getting mm. them on the same page to be basically educational assistants. I mean, ha- yes. how is that affecting the educators in communicating that and in crafting curriculum that addresses all of that?
1: Yeah, the challenge is, of course, different organizations will have their, their plans already, right? Their strategies but many of them have not really factored in how deeply embedded digital transformation is in their plans because as we mentioned earlier right technology was always been an, has always been an option it's like an added flavoring to the learning experience but now it is becoming the core of what is like the platform of of the learning activities now so in terms of the challenge there is I think school starts School starts September and there are still so many uh, schools now trying to decide what platform to use, how do we train the teachers, what kind of dynamics are we going to use, how do we do a blending of synchronous and asynchronous activities, some are deciding how much screen time should we allot for each level of learner from basic education to maybe uh, junior high or senior high. Uh, and also the different approaches for example how do you how do you teach uh, physical education subjects in in this particular day and age how do you recreate the activities for the stem subjects which require some laboratory activities so because of these things it's the advantage is there are already schools or universities or even educational institutions that have been practicing this for for many years and i've seen a lot of sharing of knowledge, sharing of best practices. So there are people or there are schools who are better prepared for this, but sadly, there are a lot of schools that are really playing catch up. And I think uh, at the core of this, probably what what the school should really focus on is really empowering the teachers, providing them with whatever they need not just in terms of uh, device and connectivity but also the tools that they need so we have uh, something that's called the summer model uh, learn how teachers learn how to integrate technology in levels and then of course i'm sure you heard of the t model where there's different kinds of uh, technological pedagogical and content content knowledge that uh, teachers need to learn quickly in the practice, in their teaching practice at the moment. So I think that is a very important thing in the focus right now. And also very careful programming, because can you imagine if if just all schools assume that students will be doing Zoom for all, say, five subjects, 30 minutes every day, it's like they're also, you know, working from home like employees. Can we imagine students to be doing that on a day-to-day basis for the next school year? That might not be optimal, right? So it's learning how to have that balance of different kinds of learning activities. And it's actually an opportunity as well because before, a lot of the learning activities that we had were really just confined to whatever you can do inside the classroom. But now the world is the classroom. The home is the classroom. Everything you find on the internet is part of that classroom, so there is more opportunity to provide uh, different also learning experiences. But I think the challenge there is, how does the school design that better? So it might be that people will. It's like for, for these schools starting just to uh, digitally transform their their uh, learning communities might be just like learning how to learning how to ride the bike, right? So it's part of the teaching practice. So if they don't really commit to this and adopt, adopt it uh, and support it, they will just they will not take it seriously. Some people are still thinking that this is just this is just what we're doing because of the pandemic, but I think this is really radically going to change the way things are for education moving forward, because it proves that students don't need to be in school for six hours every day or students don't need to be just listening to a lecture every time. So there are so many ways of learning and teaching, right? So those are the things that will be very helpful moving forward.
0: An important piece, in my opinion, for educators and administrators to uh, really keep as their number one priority as they uh, decide how to approach solving these challenges that were only exacerbated by COVID-19 is that they need to keep their solutions student-centric 100 percent. True, true. And I mean that that sounds like a a simple basic for you know launching any kind of new program or curriculum strategy Uh, but I think especially with COVID-19 and everything being so Uh, difficult to plan around the solutions might lean in the direction of uh, just basically putting a damper on uh, whatever the issue is trying to put a band-aid on it and and get back to the fall right okay Mm -mm, well let's just figure Mm -mm. out how to make it through make it through yeah make it through this and then once Mm -mm. we can get back to the classroom we'll just go back to normal But, but I don't really think there is a go back to normal because yes, I think there are some true. things that covid has changed irreparably like you said and that's and true. potentially in a positive way but mm. i think that just really means that educators and administrators need to keep their solutions student-centric and focused on that's true how has the experience of the student changed completely and how can we support them um with you know their education and also social emotionally as well yes so, yes um could you give us some insight on that, on on how you're seeing uh, schools across the board try to keep these solutions student centric or what's some advice you have for that? Oh, yeah. Um, or do you see there being issues with keeping learning student centric and fresh curriculum student centric in this time? So what are your thoughts on all that?
1: Yeah, so we've been working with most of uh, the first thing that we do, of course, is we talk to the school leaders who really make the important decisions. What we often encourage them to do is practice empathy now more than ever, right? Because we're not just thinking about what the students will experience in the classroom or in within the context of their learning. We also have to somehow consider the situation how how everything has, has really been influencing their experience the constraints that they are experiencing as brought about by not just the pandemic so people are having mental health issues Difficulty doing achieving work-life balance, and even considering a possible economic recession. So it's not as simple as just you know saying, oh, this is how we're going to design the learning activities. We have to really dig down deeper and empathize more with the with the experiences. Not just of uh, yeah, the students of course is at the core of it, but to be able to to really help the students, we have to also think about the people who will be helping them. So that, that will be the teachers and that will be the students. So what we often do with uh, the schools that we are working with is we uh, share with them a process called Learner Journey Mapping. So we try to help them break down the steps of how does the learning experience happen for the students? What will be their emotional state at each stage? Or Do you think at this stage where they are accessing the accessing the tools, will they be happy? Will they be sad? Will they be anxious? If we uh, gamify, if there's a game at a certain point of the, in the learning, will they be excited? Will they be challenged? And then we have to think about what are the strategies that we can we can uh, design to better address uh, the challenges that the learner will have on each step. So, and also who will be playing a role in each step that the student takes in his or her learning journey. So having uh, a visual process you know, to being able to visualize the process for the students helps now uh, the school better plan the learning experience for them better make choice, help them better make better choices in the tools that they're going to use and the approaches that they're going to make in, in, in the instruction. But I think another thing, uh, of course, these factors also st- schools of course will have to consider also their their sustainability in terms of being able to operate in the case of the Philippines or in some other uh, other developing economies right a lot of the uh, students are really going to private schools who are uh, run by private organizations or non-profit organizations so the challenge now is how do they make themselves sustainable in this particular day and age, right? So, in term from a just to share from a business point of view, from from school owners and for those who are looking to keep their their uh, schools afloat, uh, we have been encountering uh, comments from parents like, "If my student, if my kids are homeschooling, <laughs> why should I send them to school? Maybe I'll just do homeschooling." I'm not saying that it's. It's it's bad. I mean, homeschooling is also good, right? But what they say, what what that is an in, what it, that indicates is that they see now no more differentiator, right? From from going to school or just being homeschooled. But I think what matters here is uh, the need to reflect how the learning culture or how they cultivate their physical learning activities how they how it translate into the to the digital environment and be able to differentiate the learning offerings that they they provide because as as we recognize education there is still an industry there are different needs that uh, different uh, learners have so it's still an industry and so we have to think about how to keep the industry afloat as well. So those are things that we have to consider from the perspective of school leadership. So part of what we also help them plan through or think about is how do you translate that in the digital experience. So one thing that we recommend is try to think about providing flexible, personalized and adaptive learning experiences by choosing the right tools that will enable them to achieve that. Right? So which particular solutions can provide them with provide teachers with better analytics or alerts or automation that uh, lessen repetitive tasks so that they can focus on really monitoring the progress of each individual learner, especially now that they don't see them on a day-to-day basis face-to-face.
0: Let's wrap the conversation by getting a little more insight on what Cypher Learning is doing in this area. Um, yeah, I know Cipher works to create uh, new and flexible experiences for learners, regardless of a pandemic. Uh, but mm. even you know, with COVID nineteen in the mix, how are your uh, solutions adapting to meet those needs that are fresh or that are reinforced by the pandemic? And are you pulling from uh, any of your other solutions that uh, target towards individuals uh, or target towards small businesses or just enterprise businesses as well uh, to inform how to approach student-centric learning tools and uh, getting those to educators and administrators.
1: Yeah, so... We we've already have uh, personalized and adaptive learning features. We have automation features that really make it easier for, for teachers to track the progress of the students, as I've mentioned earlier. But I think what's going to be coming out soon that will really make it even uh, much more cooler will be the AI capabilities that will be integrated into our learning platforms. So we will be also be aggregating a lot of content providers and in that sense, no, for both schools or even small businesses or even companies who want to have a more powerful experience in their education and training, when a learner comes into the system, they plot in what do they want to learn and from when when what used to be a teacher will provide them with uh, with the learning activities or creating the content and facilitating them, they will now be even assisted by you know, your digital learning assistant who will recommend some supplementary materials for you based on your emerging interest or how you perform uh, your activities in the learning platform or how it reflects in your scores. So you will have more of that kind of in interactivity, but also, a, 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 in a sense, a more richer learning experience that is a combination of having somebody facilitate the learning for you that's a a person and also somebody uh, also uh, uh you know the ai persona that will also help you guide you with your learning activities so i think it's it's a combination of that that will make really the the learning experience very powerful for for students and save a lot of time for for the teachers. What's important there is will be the shift now. So they will, from learning facilitators, they become guides now. They become uh, more focused on how students or learners are gaining their skills, more focused on their progress, more focused on their achievement of their learning objectives.
0: And finally, what do you see as the main educational demands motivating curriculum and strategy in primary and secondary education moving forward what do you see as uh, continuing to shape this conversation
1: i think at the moment it's it's being able to develop not just creating that virtual learning community it's it's how do we meet or how do we organize tribes within the the digital space that will somehow be as thriving what are what will knowledge exchange happen in different modes it i think what we can move forward to will be organizations where the student can also share with the teacher the teacher learns from the student so i think we're moving towards uh, more fluid or more flexible learning organizations academic institutions and then there will be more interchange between uh, schools and companies in terms of uh, Credentialing, so students will learn uh, better in terms of the technical skills or skills that will prepare them for for work, right? Work readiness. So there, I think there will be more flexibility in in that sense. So um, uh, schools will be more open in in so many ways because um, we're we're more borderless now because we're going digital.
0: All right, Arlene Roa Hawaiian. thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, giving us your thoughts and insights on this very critical moment for our educational institutions and why there should be some optimism in crafting new strategy and how Cypher Learning can help. So I appreciate it again. We've been chatting with Arlene Roa-Awayan, Director of Customer Success and Engagement at Cypher Learning. Arlene, could you give us a little uh, information on where people can find out more about Cypher Learning's solutions and how they can get in touch?
1: Okay, so you can check out for schools. You can go to neolms.com. And for uh, companies who are looking for learning management system solutions, you can go to matrixlms.com. But, of course, we'll have our, we have our website called cipherlearning.com as well.
0: All right. Thanks again, Arlene Roa-Owayan. Really appreciate our chat and uh, looking forward to chatting again soon.
1: Thanks, Daniel. I hope you take care there. Stay safe.
0: And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure you go to marketscale.com industries uh, and subscribe on there to previous podcasts, articles and video content from all of our different industries. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to the future of e-learning and make sure you're leaving a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content.